I don't know, they launched their biggest play and they had a lot of issues with Apple because they never owned the system. That costed them a lot of money in the long run. Now Zuckerberg's like, okay, let's not fall into the same trap twice. The number one use case for advertising in the metaverse right now is marketing NFTs. I think parents are going to hate this. Like, I think there's going to be some type of legislation in terms of VR and AR, because I think that can really augment a child and a young person's reality and way of interacting. No, no, All right, we are rolling. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. We got a special guest here, Mark Robinson. Pleasure to have you, brother. What's going on? Yeah, excited to be here. Excited to have you as well. Paris and Alex, as usual, we're always here. We want to kick this off nice and easy, get you warmed up here, Mark. So okay. tell us more for the audience that's not listening. I know obviously you're involved pretty heavily right now in the space between you know podcasting, organizing events, and, and more. So tell us more about your story and how you kind of got started and got attracted to the whole Web3 space. Yeah, for sure. So I, back in the day when I was in college, I studied design. So I did a lot of digital design, graphic design, industrial design, that kind of work. And beginning of 2021 was thinking, hey, I feel like I need a creative outlet again. And I've always dabbled in crypto a little bit, but was thinking I need to get like, I need a, I need a creative outlet, get back into the art scene a little bit with something. And so the marriage of art and crypto is the NFT space. But shortly after that as well, Facebook was in the process of changing its name to Meta and all of that kind of stuff. And at the same time, two people that I respect a lot in business, well, more than two, but um, Tom Bilyeu, Gary Vee, uh, Peter Diamandis is somebody else. He's kind of a futurist, but all of them are saying, hey, if you're not talking about Web3, if you're not talking about NFTs, I don't have time for the conversation. I'm all in. This is where the future is. And so when multiple people that you look up to are saying that, it makes you pause and start to pay attention. And so it was kind of the convergence of a lot of things that I was interested in, coupled with the fact that people that I really respect were diving in. And so, um, yeah, middle of last year is when I started diving deeper into crypto, really diving into uh, NFTs, understanding that, started the podcast, Marketing in the Metaverse. And now we're putting on an event, NFT Seattle, to bring the Web3 community together out here. That's awesome. I can't wait to talk more about that. I wish I could make it. Uh, that would have been fun. Tell me more, I guess, because uh, again, going from like, you know, nothing about Web3, right? Or even just dabbling in Web3 and crypto to organizing a whole event, that must be obviously a big change for you internally. So what do you think kind of like Web3 has taught you or what have you learned about yourself getting started in the space and, and something so new? Yeah, good question. I think it lowers the barrier for entry for a lot of people to like start a business essentially like there's a ton of people that start an nft project and whatnot and then people say oh my gosh web3 is so different than web2 you have to add value and build a community and all these things that are not actually really web2 or web3 it's just if you're gonna run a company or a business like you should probably add value you should probably build community like take care of the people in your community those aren't new principles right but because it's new to so many people because i think building a company, which is essentially what you're doing when you're like launching an NFT project. And so it's exposing a lot of people to these age old principles of just business or leadership or whatever it might be. Um, and so I think part of the, part of the ethos is that like lowers the barrier for entry. Anybody can actually, you know, if you're an artist before and you had to depend on some big brand or company or whatnot, like now a lot of the power is in the hands of the artists and the creators and it empowers people to start things and do things and, put themselves out there. And so that's definitely what I would say we've done with NFT Seattle, because it's a big feat. Neither myself or my co-founder Lennox, um, neither one of us has put together a conference of this scale before. Have done some happy hours or smaller events with like one to 200 max back when I was in the corporate world, but nothing like a two-day conference. And so, yeah, I would say that's kind of the ethos of Web3 is like empowering creators and builders and people that just have an idea to go for it and pursue it. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Um... Like to build a company, you have to build a community, you have to build trust, you have to provide value. These are not new principles. But uh, since you're a marketing guy, I want to ask you, how do you communicate that trust and value into a space that's new to people? Yeah, I think it's a couple of different things. Um, there's like, there's a, like there's some more ambiguous ways or like just human things and there's some tactics. Um I think one, like being consistent, if you're consistent, I think that builds trust, uh, whether it's 
Web3 or, you know, something totally new or, or whatnot. But if you're, if you're building a brand, if you're doing something, especially in a space where I think people are maybe a little bit skeptical or just don't understand, I think consistency is really important. Um, I'm at Brandtegic right now. We're a digital marketing company where we do a lot of video content. And so I think getting yourself on camera, putting your face in front of the camera, mm. that is important in building trust because people feel like they know you. I'm saying that I haven't done a ton of that <laughs> with like marketing for NFT Seattle as an example. Um, have with the podcast and other things, but um, that's something that we preach a lot here is we help people scale trust and video is generally the easiest way to do that because you can get in front of so many people way more than you ever could grab coffee with or sending an email doesn't quite do the same thing, right? So video is really important. And then I think just keeping it basic, like people don't need to try to sound impressive by explaining these big topics. Like I think being educational, making things simple and putting things out there in bite-sized pieces that make it relatable and understandable to the average person allows people to kind of come at their own pace and keep up with you because a month in like diving deep down the rabbit hole of web three, and you can talk at a level where it sounds like, like you're so far beyond where the average person is at. So you have to continue to like keep it super basic and simple. Cause we yeah. talk about a lot of concepts that most people do not comprehend. Yeah, it's like imagine explaining to your friend or your parents or like your family, like, yeah, Ethereum's gonna have these new ZK rollups and the merch <laughs> is gonna save 90 percent of proof of stake, right? It's like, yeah, what is that exactly? So I definitely totally. agree with you. Yeah, so who would you say is like your like target audience in terms of like that, you know, NFT Seattle and just kind of like what you're doing with Web3? It's like who are you trying to like just target? Is there a specific like demographic or like Yeah, I would say with the with the event, so the, the initial vision for it, or the initial thing that I would say really inspired it is just, you keep traveling to all these other events like LA, Miami, New York, and thinking, okay, the other three corners are covered and Seattle's a massive tech hub. There's so many companies that have been founded here. And there's a ton of just like interesting, innovative, wildly intelligent people out here. Like, why are we not getting any recognition? Why are we not on anybody's radar as being a web three hub? And just wanting to stop traveling to all these other places and give us some of the recognition we deserve. Not myself, just like there's people way smarter than me out here, a ton of them. And so we, we earlier this year, the world's first NFT museum actually opened up in Seattle, which was really cool. And so that happened in January, January 14th, we had the grand opening there. Um, I say we, like I'm like, I did it. I did not, I attended. Um, Peter and part Jennifer, <laughs> Peter, yeah, part of the culture. Um, I actually, we did a Twitter space yesterday, Peter and Jennifer, the co-founders and their friends and, um, and we're partnered up on putting this event together. They're, they're joining forces and opening up their space for some of the events and stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, so target audience initially was like, Hey, there's a really segmented, fragmented community out here in Seattle. I don't I wouldn't even really call it a community. There's just people in their own lanes doing really cool things. It would be really powerful if we got everybody in a room and like let's let the magic happen and see what opportunities and relationships can form from that so i think that's that's part of it but then there's also a lot of fringe people that are just curious or like what the heck is this whole nft thing why do people keep talking about it is this just people posting jpegs of monkeys or what's the deal you know and so there's a lot of really smart tech people and there's a lot of artists out here and musicians and so there's a lot of people that maybe are not, they're definitely not Web3 native, they're maybe Web3 curious, but wanting to get this on their radar too as like education to help people understand, hey, why are so many people talking about this? Why are people excited about this? Why is this actually a really big opportunity for me as a creator, as a creator or an artist or um, just somebody that's entrepreneurial, maybe in the startup or business world? So yeah, I would say attracting people from all over it doesn't have to be local, but definitely want to pioneer and be, um, kind of a beacon in the in the Seattle area. I love that. I think over the last few months, I did notice like, well, since the bear market started, it's very hard to, and I don't know if you agree with me on this, but it's very hard to onboard new people into the space because it's like the euphoria ended and a lot of good things happened and then a lot of bad things happened, right? So people were thinking like, yo, the fad, it just faded away. It's done, it's over with. So obviously for you guys like throwing a big event in Seattle, like what do you think, the message is going to be in terms of like, hey, what do we tell all the naysayers or the people that are like sleeping on us right now that the space is over, right? It's dead. NFTs are not here anymore. So it's like, what do we do now? Like, what's kind of the message uh, in your opinion about that? Yeah, I think some, I think in some ways you're right that 
it's harder to onboard people in other ways. I think there's some people that are also turned off by all the hype and excitement and almost wait for it to calm down to be like, okay, now it's a bit more mature. Now I'm ready to actually start to understand this now that people are not hyping it up so much, you know? So I think in some ways it's a more palatable message right now where it's not, people don't like to feel like they're being sold and it's all just hype. And now that it's just calmer waters, it's almost more attractive to maybe a more mature audience in some ways. So, and I think Seattle is a very, it's like a smart community of people that are fairly reserved. And so I see it almost being a good time in Seattle to hopefully that's, that's my, that's my thesis. We'll see if I'm right, but um, I, I can see it being like a positive in some ways as a time to onboard people. But yeah, I think it's just showcasing, I think showcasing all of the really cool use cases for web three technology, NFT technology, and showing people what people are already doing beyond, cause you don't hear about like the interesting utilities behind these NFTs. And a lot of it is just like standard, maybe you can call it like a web two business powered by web three technology that's just enhanced by it. And so people think it's some totally new revolutionary thing. And it's like, no, this is actually with or without the web three technology, this would be a dope business idea or a really cool game or whatever, but add this extra element into it and it just becomes even better. So it's not some whole new thing that you have to learn and understand and begin to dive into. It's like, Hey, this is just taking what you're already doing and just elevating it to another level. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You hit the nail on the head. I think what people in the Web3 space and outside of the Web3 space do not understand quite yet is that Web3 is not meant to be totally new, totally foreign. It's meant to take existing Web2 markets, existing Web2 products, elevate them and expand on them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of NFT projects totally miss that point. And like, like the average user isn't going to sign up for Discord and follow a bunch of Twitter accounts so that they can stay up to date. Um, that's not like sustainable, in my opinion. I think Twitter raids are probably not sustainable and influencer marketing, um, you know, it's probably gotten a bad rep at this point because of all the rug pulls. Um, so in terms of, you said utility, NFT utility, I think we're at a point now where we're like, okay, roadmaps are not enough right? Like that, a promise of utility is not enough. So can you talk about a certain use case or a certain utility that you think is very applicable and could become like mass adopted? Yeah, for sure. Um, A couple ones that come to mind, there's some that are really, I don't want to say basic, but it's very straightforward. It's very simple. The most recent NFT I bought is they're actually a sponsor of NFT Seattle, Zero X Coffee. And I enjoy coffee. I think you have to, if you're in Seattle and, um, they basically, and I've, I've bought a couple of projects that are like this board breakfast club and then zero X coffee board breakfast club. You buy the NFT and you basically just get a coffee bag shipped to you about once a month, as long as like whenever the wallet refills, I've had it for maybe eight months and probably gotten three or four bags of coffee. Um, and so, and I've got a few of those. So I've actually gotten like 12 bags of coffee, which I do not consume that much coffee or really have a coffee grinder. I just thought it was a dope project. So I went into it. Um, and then the Xerox coffee is one where you buy this NFT and then you've got, basically you can redeem it for up to 12 bags of coffee. So that's a, it's a, like the membership concept is a very simple way that just people are accustomed to that. It's just, you could buy a membership or you can paint. Hey, now you can buy this NFT. And after you have used up the, the like utility, if there's a limit to it, like the 12 bags of coffee, Well, then you still have this cool piece of artwork. You still have something that like there still is a benefit. You still get a percentage off things. And hey, if it's art, if it goes up in value, they can always bake more stuff, like more utility into it. And as a business, it allows them to like continue to incentivize loyal customers and people in their community and like engage them in a cool new way that they haven't done before. So that's one example. Another is um, so Lennox, who I'm partnered up with hosting NFT Seattle. He, he launched a project in February and excuse me, called Satoshi's index, but basically built a technology tool that would, he's built a lot of machine learning trading models in Forex crypto stocks. Like he's brilliant. He has a quant hedge fund. He's just like super smart guy when it comes to all things, money and finances way beyond my understanding. And 
what he did is he built a algorithm essentially that would automatically trade crypto on your behalf. So if you don't just want to DCA into Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, some of the major ones and you want to just go with the market and capitalize on the upside potential of a lot of, you know, smaller cap coins or different altcoins that might not be on your radar and not having to just be a day trader and watch everything consistently because that's exhausting. So basically he token gated that software tool with an NFT. So if you buy this NFT, now it, this program checks your wallet every day. And as long as that's in there, the software continues to run. And what that solves for is now you, you're not like, you can't steal some license of software from some company or whatever. It's like, it's just checking your wallet on a daily basis. And so it keeps track of who has it, who doesn't. But the other thing that's really cool is you can, you can have this, this NFT. And then when you're done using that software, like imagine if Adobe did this, right. And you've got Adobe creative suite with Photoshop and illustrator and premiere yeah. and all the different products. And then you use it for two years. Well, you still have the license that still has value because it gives somebody access to it. Now you can put that on the market on secondary that gives that like, that's cool. Now I get my money back, or at least I get some money. Adobe still gets a royalty on it. So nobody really loses. And so that's, it's like, there's things like that where people will continue to innovate on ways to leverage the technology behind it. But I think that's a really cool use case too. And there's so many, I mean, there's so many more, but yeah, those are a couple that come to mind. So you having a, you know, a branded company, a social media, you know, a company, you know, you see Facebook and that use so much of our data to generate targeted ads and, you know, they make an exorbitant amount of money from just these advertisements and basically essentially from the users. And so obviously you being in the social media space, how do you see, you know, the ad space changing web three and just like you've gone off the royalty aspect, how do you see just that shifting? Yeah, I think it's going to be different in some ways you have like web three gives you ownership of your data. So you can choose when you're sharing it and when you're not to an extent. Um, and it's hard to know how far that direction we go, right? Like there are browsers that exist, like brave browsers, kind of a cool thing where you can like, you can opt in to sharing data and getting, and you get ads or you can like opt out of that. Like you have, you have control over, Oh, but you get brave token if you see ads and do these things. And, um, and so you just, you have more control over it as a consumer. Some people I think are not going to care and will continue to share data. Some people are going to be very protective of it and won't share. But then as a business too, if you have, like, if you've got access to people's wallets, if you've got a token sitting in somebody's wallet and you can see what kind of NFTs they've got, what kind of communities they're a part of, you get some really interesting new data that today doesn't exist. So some of the old data, like with iOS updates and whatnot, it's been harder to have the right data on people that generally like you traditionally had. Um, and so I think for some people, it's going to be like just harder to reach or harder to get data because people have more control for other people, people that don't care and want to be really invested in a community, then you'll have more data. Like if you think about in the past, if somebody was a collector of Star Wars memorabilia, and they just would go to all these, um, you know, garage sales and they would go to wherever and they would, or even they would go to Walmart or I don't know, where do you buy Star Wars Dave. stuff? I don't know. <laughs> um, but you like, say so if somebody does that, like Star Wars, the parent company that's putting out all this product, all of this, you know, merch for people to buy, they have no idea who's buying that stuff, where their customers are. They can't track any of that. Whereas if they're launching NFTs as the memorabilia, as the merch, as the way for people to invest into that community and be a part of it and collect. Well, now they've got, oh, wow, this person has bought 26 and they've held it for the past four years. Hey, let's throw something, let's incentivize them and give them a reason to invest deeper into this community. So in some ways it actually gives you more insight into who your best, most loyal consumers and customers are. So I think for brands, there's a lot of, upside there that that they'll be able to achieve yeah i also think like this may be too far off but i even think like a lot of these companies that are like wallets so like think metamask allowing people to advertise inside there right like having specific ad space inside of your wallet like i think that's going to be a step forward and then you also see it now in terms of like you know how there's a lot of whitelist collaborations and obviously communities sponsoring other communities i think that's going to be another big way to market it's like yeah forget influence, well, take influencer marketing and, and put steroids on it. It's not like you just 
collaborate with other communities because there's so many of and you get posted inside their marketplace and you do these Twitter spaces, right? And we're already seeing that ad style pretty much, you know, uh, elevate within the space. So I think that's definitely going to be a huge play as well. One thing I'm really interested in, Mark, is, you know, the metaverse, right? Where this space is going to go, what it's going to look like, uh, you know, what specific platform is going to be like the next big thing. What do you like anticipate the marketing aspect and branding to look like in, in the metaverse? Do you have like a, a vision for that? Yeah. I have some ideas. I don't know if I have a vision for it or know exactly what it's going to look like. Um, no, I we think... have because marketing in the metaverse. So it's like, yeah. you got to get That's tape. right. Totally. Um, and Mo, something you said too of, I don't know, I don't, I'm trying to remember what you said that made me think of this, but like, I think the, I, I actually, my most recent guest on marketing in the metaverse was this guy named Daniel Liebeskind, who is the founder of Topia. And that's basically like a metaversal, like it's basically a metaverse platform that that he built, but he was he was talking about the shared backend of all of these different platforms and tools. So I think there's going to be a lot of different platforms. I don't think it's like this is going to be the platform that wins. I think what's going to be cool is if you have the shared backend, which means, hey, if I build an audience and a community on one platform, and then I want to plug into this other platform, it's not like you start from zero, like. The shared backend means you bring that community with you and you can plug into different, you know, metaverses and whatnot. And so I think that is a really cool concept. And right now, if you, um, it's kind of like, I was even talking to, there's a gal out here who runs a venture capital fund specifically in web three. And she was like a major influencer in China actually, before she came over here. And she was talking about how it was kind of exhausting, like new platforms would come out and then they're having her convert her audience. And she's constantly like shifting her audience from one thing to the other and try to get as much adoption as she can. And so I think if we can achieve a shared platform, that'll be so much better for creators and businesses and all of us. And then we can just leverage platforms based on the merit of that platform versus, oh, my audience is here. I guess I'm kind of stuck here because I can't transfer it or bring it with me anywhere else. So I think that'll be interesting to see how that all plays out as some of those things develop. Um, I heard this the other day that the number one like reason people are currently like the number one use case for advertising in the metaverse right now is marketing NFTs, which I just, I thought that was funny. Um, I talked to a different metaverse advertising company that said, yeah, there's not really any ROI from advertising in the metaverse right now, but how you can use it is you promote the fact that you're advertising in the metaverse for PR or exposure or leveraging the fact that you're doing that. It's kind of like being in a magazine where how many people actually open the magazine and see your page and call you. Maybe one day that worked when the internet didn't exist. And maybe there's still some that are effective right now, but I mean, I've never done that, right? I've never been on a, I just, yeah, I don't really read through magazines. And so, um, I think the metaverse is kind of that way. Like you can promote the fact on your Instagram that you were featured in Forbes, but nobody's flipping through the Forbes magazine and seeing your picture in there, or maybe a fraction of a percent of people are seeing that, right? So it's all about how you leverage it. And so that's like current state where we're at today is it's really just about leveraging the fact that you can say, oh yeah, I've got some advertising up in the metaverse. And then you sound really forward thinking and cool. And you can say you're featured in Decentraland or whatever and it makes you sound fancy. So I think that's where we're at today. In the future, as way more people are active in different worlds, then I think it's it's gonna be interesting because it's not spatially bound where it's like, oh, I bought real estate next to Snoop Dogg in the metaverse. It's like, does it really matter? You can just kind of teleport and go wherever you want. So is it that important to be right next door? I don't know. So you're not getting all the foot traffic or like a concentrated amount. So I see it being more event driven. Like, hey, if there's a big event inside of like, hey, this massive concert, we're going to have Eminem's going to do a huge concert in the metaverse with Justin Bieber. And you've got like 200,000 people are plugging in virtually. Then that's a really big branding and marketing opportunity where there's a lot of eyeballs. And it's like, to me, that would be effective. But just having some static ad on some random billboard in the middle of the metaverse unless you're going to leverage it for some PR is not going to do much for you right so now. So you don't think like, yeah, you, know, you don't think like going and like, let's say there's like a Times square of like the metaverse. And let's say you just fortunately bought that land, you know, 
in re- really early and you're able to just you know capitalize that and rent it out to like different mainstream uh, web two companies like Google and then you could have a, for example a billboard so people are let's say walking around in the metaverse and now they can you know they look up and like with their VR headset they see just like a billboard for like Google or Facebook right so that, that's kind of how I envision I guess advertising would be but I'm not an advertising guy so but like if I were to see like you know I don't really see myself putting on a VR headset but I could definitely I know there's a market for that and I know that people are going to walk around the metaverse and maybe it'll become a thing where people like to hang out it'll be like a common common place for that and so that's where my, my thoughts go it's like you'll just see like billboards and like a common place where you know if you were able to buy land there that's you know going to be your benefit yeah I think there's I could see that working out for sure it's like it's hard to know exactly, but that what you're saying makes total sense. I could definitely see that happening. I think that's one thing. I think like uh, I don't know if you guys watch the Joe Rogan and Mark Zuckerberg podcast, but like from from what I took from it, right? Like Zuck was more talking about like, hey, everybody has this one clear, perfect picture of the metaverse, and it's just going to be us living in a virtual world. But it's not really the case, right? He's like, we're building something to make things that you can't necessarily do as easily in the real world easier obviously in the metaverse so i think like when people talk about advertising at least for me like when i when i hear somebody like zuckerberg talking about this stuff i'm like okay so maybe the advertising is not going to be about billboards it's not going to be uh you know buildings it could be right but i think it's more going to be like hey who's going to have the device what companies are going to own this device and who's going to have access to this device right that you can advertise on because think about it this way zuckerberg lost or meta right i think they lost their biggest play and they had a lot of issues with apple because they never owned the system right they only were the app and they that costed them a lot of money in the long run right now zuckerberg's like okay let's not fall into the same trap twice let's go ahead and go all in on building the device first and then being able to work on the system so when i see that i'm like okay then obviously the device is going to be the main thing because everybody needs to buy something they can physically touch and use and if you're already on Instagram, you're already on Facebook, you're already on all these meta platforms, then it makes all the sense now to even be using their equipment. And I think that's going to be the biggest run and obviously culture shift in terms of user experience and user behavior and, and where that goes. At least that's my two cents right there. I need to listen to that conversation between Joe Rogan and Zuck. I love Joe Rogan. Oh, you so. have to. Yeah it's, yeah, it's amazing. My thing is like in Web3, I'm more into crypto and NFTs. I'm less into the metaverse, though I do understand there's a market for it. But I think what's tough for me and a lot of people to see as being realistic is that people are going to put on this headset and stay stay in the metaverse for an extended period of time. I mean, like people report being like nauseous and dizzy after having it on for 30 minutes to an hour. I don't see it being used all day. I see it being used like what Zuck said to make something more simple or easier. Like we all work from home. Let's just throw on a headset and do a meeting in the metaverse. But then you take the headset off. I don't see like kids especially putting on the Oculus and going to a concert. Like certain things are just more fun in person, right? Um, I think there has to be use cases for the metaverse. I don't think it's going to be this place where you just hang out all the time, but that's just me. So I've, I'm wondering from your experience interacting with the metaverse and interacting with the consumer behavior of it, what are you seeing? Like, what are people drawn to? And I think the tough part is there is no one metaverse, right? There's different metaverses. Um, one, you put on a headset, others, you just go on a device, um, so I'm at like, what I'm asking is what do you see in consumer behavior? What are they responding to better in terms of the metaverse? Yeah, I agree with you that I don't see people just wearing a headset all day in a lot of ways, but there are, if you think about like gamers, like there's kids that are gamers that wear, and maybe it's not goggles, but it's like they wear the headset and they've got the mouthpiece and they're gaming all day. And if you can make that an even more immersive experience where now there's zero distractions from the game because like your entire vision is like tunnel vision into this game and you're totally immersed in this world. I can totally see how people would get drawn into that and you just lose the concept of time and you just get lost in there for you're already like people do this with games already, right? Where they spend a day straight just playing this game. And so if you remove the 
peripheral vision and distractions that could exist outside of that. So you're all in on the game. Like I can see how time and space kind of disappear and you're just building, you know, playing the game or, or doing the thing. But I don't, beyond that, I don't see too many um, reasons why people are going to, I mean, unless you just hate your life and you're looking for an escape, then you can go escape in the metaverse. Yeah. You know, I mean, to be honest, and people will probably do that. Like if your life sucks and, but you can be this avatar that has a light, which is kind of scary to think about. And that's sort of a sad picture, but I could see that happening where people can escape and, oh, I'm actually cool here. And now you go back to your real life and it's depressing, but in the metaverse, you can have like, you don't have to be that person anymore. And so you can kind of escape into this virtual world. Um, and if you can work and have connections and all these things and it's all around somebody that's not you, then, you know, I can see how that would happen. But I think, I think overall people need human connection and human interaction. And if the metaverse can enhance that and it can enhance relationships and draw people together, then I think it will be positive in a lot of ways and people will be drawn to that. But if it is more disconnected and you have better human interaction in person, then I think it's going to be hard to slap on a headset and it'll be interesting to see how the tech evolves from like a full on headset to glasses to who knows what chip in your, you know, eye, who knows where, know. where it's going. <laughs> um, but I think it's, yeah, I, I agree. It's going to be, people are not going to just live in the metaverse. Vast majority of people are not going to do that. It's going to be the, and I'm sure there'll be press about somebody like the, you know, sad picture I just painted of somebody getting stuck in the metaverse and just staying there, whatever, spending all the, like, I'm sure there'll be use cases of that and it'll probably make a headline somewhere, but that's not going to be 99.9% .9 of people. Vast majority of people might use it because instead of jumping on zoom, we can do this. Now we can 3d share on this. Like we can point to a screen and it's just like we're collaborating in person, except for we happen to be all over the world, a global team that's working remote. So I see that making it a better experience for people that are looking to collaborate and work together. And then the meeting's over and, you know, maybe you have multiple meetings in the metaverse or whatever, but then you make dinner for the wife and kids and, you know, do your like real life in-person activities or go to the park with somebody or go, you know, whatever you do. So that's my, that's how I expect. To well, that, that gives me hope, man. I mean, I we see even today the last like 10, 15 years since like iPhones and smartphones have been coming around. We've been so glued to our technology and all these screens and, my concern is it just kind of will deteriorate society. You know, you put on a headset and you'll just get more and more disconnected from reality. You know, like you said, you could be into the metaverse. You could be someone who you're not, someone you actually like. You know, if you don't like yourself, which is unfortunate, you can now please something, an avatar that, you know, resembles who you want to be. And, it, you know, you kind of get in tune with that and you get stuck in that mindset. So I do appreciate you saying that you believe 99% because that's my biggest concern with the metaverse and VR is that, people are just going to get more and more disconnected from human emotion and just human overall interaction in person. Yeah. Well, I hope I'm right. We'll see. I just thought of this. How, how crazy would it be if Neuralink has some type of involvement in the metaverse? Yeah, it could. Wouldn't put it past Elon. Yeah, me either. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, hmm, space, Neuralink, chip in the eye, metaverse, it's starting mm -hmm. to come together. Well, the thing is, like, there's a difference between AR and VR, right? Like, Elon is into AR, augmented reality. And I, I think I lean towards more AR products as well. Because it just, again, like we were saying, it enhances your experience that already exists instead of creating a whole new one. Whereas VR, you're creating a whole new world. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned like kids like using gaming or using devices as a way to escape because like that's not new either. Like I remember going home after school and be like, oh, like school sucks. Let me hop on my Wii and play some tennis. Like and there's like this there's this meme that's like you're you know, you're like because I'm Gen Z or yeah, Gen Z. Um, there's this means like, you know, you're Gen Z when you're playing Wii and your parents are discussing a divorce down the hall. <laughs> like you just kind of escape from all of that with your devices. Um, but I think there's an interesting aspect of like if kids, cause I think kids are being targeted for web three and just younger people in general, because that's how you adopt a new product is by getting them young. Um, I think parents are going to hate this. And parents are like, I think there's going to be some type of legislation in terms of VR and AR, because I think that can really augment a child and a young person's reality and way of interacting. 
Um, so I'm wondering, have you encountered anything like in terms of like legal, like guidelines that you have to follow in terms of NFTs or marketing and all of that? Uh, there's nothing that I've, that I have interacted with or that I'm super familiar with. So that could happen. I think different, um, different parents operate and treat it differently. I think a lot of people are, are kind of scared of the metaverse and some of them, Gary V as an example, he is not your normal, he's not a normal human, obviously. <laughs> like he's, he's not like the average person in, right. you know, in a lot of ways, but for him, I, I remember him saying something in a video one time where he's like, why would you not let your kids be on their phone all day? Like, that's amazing. They're going to be so far ahead of everybody else. You're not letting your phone interact <laughs> with the future. He's like, my kids can be on the phone all day and they're going to be that much further ahead and they'll be ready versus you're not letting your kid interact with it. They don't understand it. They don't have the light. So that, those are different perspectives. I don't think his is maybe the majority of people, but from a legal perspective and you know, how are we going to protect kids? I think there's going to be some things like, I think they had that, that one thing came up, um, which is interesting about spatial awareness in the metaverse, mm -hmm. because they're like, Oh, we don't want people to get like, you know, molested or like sexual harassment in the metaverse or whatever, even though it's just an avatar, but still like they're protecting people's space. And so I would imagine they'll put in more guardrails and controls to attempt to, uh, protect kids, hopefully. So, yeah, we'll see how that. Yeah. And I mean, you said you're a design guy. So I want to know, like, what do you think about how Zuck's metaverse looks design wise? I think we've got a long ways to go before it's something that we're all super yeah. excited about, you know, <laughs> but it's like, even I was talking about Topia because I, I had just recently talked to Daniel who, who built that and was looking at it and it's his, the focus is not on like the avatar being super realistic and whatnot. It's almost like you, you have this little mini avatar, but then you have a video screen, just like you're on Riverside FM or you're on Zoom of the actual person. So you have some spatial awareness because you've got this avatar that you can move around. But once you get close to somebody, then their screen pops up and then you're just having a video chat with them inside of it, which is kind of cool. And so it's not all about, like, I don't think the graphics have to be insane for there to be adoption. I think Zuck's metaverse currently is underwhelming in, in a lot of ways from that perspective, if that's what's important. Um, but I mean, it's, you can do some cool stuff in there. So I think that's going to continue to get better and better and better, but I don't think it, if, if the functionality is there and it allows you to do some of the things that we're talking about, I don't think the graphics have to be blowing your mind for it to, you know, enhance. One thing I was thinking about too, um, was speaking of like advertising and metaversal type stuff. And you had mentioned augmented reality and, one of the things I mentioned, Peter Diamandis earlier, who wrote the book Future is Faster Than You Think. And I think that book was written a few years ago. It's not a new book, but he got me thinking about a lot of this stuff like three, four years ago. And he's a, he's a thought leader pioneer. He's wildly smart. So I would definitely recommend that book and just following along with what he does. But he talked about how you'll be able to, um, you'll, you'll walk into a store as an example and everything is going to be interconnected. And I think now even more so with wallet and like different NFTs that you have and the digital presence, like the digital wallet that we have as part of your identity, where if you're walking into a store at the mall, based on what's in your wallet, you'll see different billboards, especially if you've got these like AR glasses on or whatever, you'll see different advertisements than somebody else would because it's all catered to what's actually going to be relevant to you. And then they can have so much data or like know you so well where they might even put like your favorite actor as an ad where somebody else might see somebody different or one ad might have your mom's voice saying something like, Hey Mark, check this out. And you look and it's like this ad, like there's, there's different things like that where I don't know how invasive it will be or exactly what that's going to look like. But I think there are a lot of ways to innovate and there will be some really cool things depending on how your digital wallet and your digital presence interacts with, some of those in real life experiences with the AR side of things. So I think that will bring some new ways for brands to interact with people. Some people will think, wow, that was amazing. That was so cool. And some people will be very turned off by that, but interesting things to think oh, about. Yeah. That's, that's actually mind blowing now that you've given me that thought. It, it takes me to the question of like, how different do you think one person's digital wallet will be from what they are in real life? Like we see on Instagram, obviously in a sense, 
at least I think when social media first came out, it was like everybody was trying to be something different than who they actually are. And then now it came to the point where it's like, no, you want to be who you are and that's who people are going to fall in love with. Do you think that same concept is going to continue to carry out through this next generation of the internet? Or do you think like, hmm, maybe it's going to be completely different? Like when I look at myself personally, I think it's it's going to be different because like now that I reflect over the NFTs that I bought, for example, like think doodles, right? I would never like look or entertain something that's like pink and cartoonish and it's not really my vibe, but when I look at it online, it's like, you know what? This is actually pretty cool. So like, how different do you think it's going to be uh, in your opinion? I think it's a lot deeper than the art though. Like I think it's a lot more to do with the values and the mission of the community that you buy into. And so you're buying into doodles, not like, yeah, the art's cute and the pastel colors and whatnot. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't love it regardless, but the fact that they're innovative and creative and like, I think doodles is a really cool brand and like their values. I don't, I don't know what their values are. I couldn't tell you like, Hey, here are their core values and their mission statement, but the community, I know the types of people that are in their community and I want to be a part of that community. I don't have any doodles. I wish I did. But, um, so I think, I think it's more about that and aligning yourself with like-minded communities and communities whose values match up to yours, whose values you want to embody and you want to surround yourself with. So I think it's more like that than, this isn't me because I wouldn't generally like this art or put, I wouldn't post this PFP on my Instagram. So this isn't me, you know, it's more, it's like deeper than that. It's a layer deeper. The PFP is just a way to associate yourself with other people who have those deeper shared values. I mean, speaking of doodles, like remember when Pharrell was named their new creative director? Yeah. I think there's an interesting trend of influencer slash celebrity involvement in web three um, similar to what you see with like cereal or like just stupid products that you see advertised on TV as a kid. Um, they're doing that again with web three, but I don't know how effective it is this time around because I don't, I don't feel like I hear a lot of people being like, Oh, like Pharrell's the new creative director. I'm going to get into doodles now. That's not really how it works, but like maybe I'd see like my favorite athlete being like Kellogg's is the best cereal and I'll go buy some at the grocery store. Yeah. Well, I think there's the barrier to entry into buying a Kellogg's cereal box is a lot different than like right. investing into a doodles right. too. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think there's a lot of, I do think a lot of people are maybe more skeptical and um, just like you had mentioned earlier, the rug pulls that have happened and some of the, you know, you can just because if Kim Kardashian says, Hey, this NFT is really cool. People don't really trust her as a source of Web3 like, yep. knowledge. And so probably some people would buy it just because there's so many like Kim Kardashian fans that, you know, would just buy whatever she says. But that would not be a long-term community probably, unless it was really properly stewarded and whatever. It did a lot of education around that. But just a shout out from somebody like that. She would also get probably a lot of hate from people being like, oh, she's just selling out and she did not enter the space in a tasteful way. And people that actually know what they're talking about would not give it any credit, right? Yeah. Maybe it would onboard mm -hmm. some new people into that space. They're like, okay, I wasn't going to buy NFTs, but now my favorite celebrity that I look up to is saying, this is something I should invest into. All right, I'm going to pay attention now. So I think it can help with getting just exposure and um, awareness around it for sure. But if you're... If you're thinking, okay, I want to market my product, which influencers can I get shout outs from? Just because somebody has an audience does not mean they have credibility in the Web3 space, right? Because if somebody, especially within like people that are already doing Web3 things, like if somebody's already buying NFTs or investing in crypto, and if somebody's already in the space and they see a shout out from some random celebrity, that's oftentimes more of a red flag than it is a selling point, right? But to your average person that maybe doesn't know anything about web three yet. And then they see it at least it puts it on their radar. Maybe they end up joining, you know, or, or becoming a part of it, who knows, but it's definitely not the way that it, it's, it's different than like <laughs> makeup or skincare or whatever, where we, people tend to buy into it more. I think in, in web three, people really judge how people enter the space and people can either do it properly or people have done it poorly. Mark, what are your thoughts on board eight? Well, not board eight, Google Labs being valued at $4 billion in 14 months. As somebody in the business space that's building something, like, do you think that's 
does it do you think that helps or hurts the way the space is moving um i don't know i mean i feel like they're just getting started i feel like i feel like there's so much more to come so um do you feel like that's do you feel like that's high or low their valuation i think it's really high honestly yeah i think it's really like i don't know where that multiple came from based off what i mean have they generated they've definitely generated a good amount of money at least a few hundred million for sure but i think it, it's way too early like i think vcs fomoed into investing in the company just like retail investors fomoed into buying nfts and look where they yeah. are now yeah i think yeah i mean it is it is really early there still is such a small percentage of the population that has an active wallet that owns NFTs and whatnot. So it's easy when you're in the space to be like, oh my gosh, everybody knows them. And of course they're massive. But if you zoom out and look at it from like a macro perspective, you're like, oh, they're small fish, you know? And that's why I say like, they have, they have so much more to do. And like, I feel like there's massive potential and I feel like they're positioned really well to capitalize on it and to be a leading player for years to come. Likely, I would expect that they will. So I think there is a lot of potential I don't know what they based their number on. And so I don't have a good gauge on if it was accurate or <laughs> I don't, I don't know the details around that, but um, I mean, it, in, yeah, yeah, it's hard to know, but I think, I think there's a lot of upside potential. I expect it to grow and hopefully it was a good investment for people that invested into it. I think it's cool. Depending, depending on what they went in, right? Yeah. Right now. Yeah, exactly. It only makes logical sense that they should exactly. be here for the next years because they have all the liquidity and capital to keep building regardless of floor price. But, uh, you know, Parisa, I talked to Parisa the other day and she had a really good point. She's like, what do you think about the VMA, like uh, Eminem, Snoop Dogg music video of the, uh, you know, Bored Ape? And I'm just like, it didn't really do it for me. Like, you know, it draws such a massive audience, right? That's a, such a platform, the VMAs. Yeah, they kind of just gave a really underwhelming performance. It didn't really like captivate an audience. I'm like, oh, what is this? Like, what are these like monkeys or apes resemble? Is like it, it doesn't bring an NFT regard or aspect. And it's like, you know, the normies and people are not going to just you know learn the space now. It's just kind of just like this music video was just kind of stupid. It didn't really like. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think it turned people away more. Like. Did you yeah. see? Well, you guys got to think about it this way as well. Like consumer behavior, again, again coming from the e-commerce space, like usually it takes people seven to 10 touch points sometimes to even start considering something, right? So the way I look at it is like, okay, they've gotten all the touch points about, hey, buy this monkey now and you're going to get $100,000 like profit. And then it's like, now it's starting to be more like, hey, you should see this on a burger. Okay. Mark was talking about, hey, it's the, the board breakfast, right? Now, okay, Snoop Dogg's so. You got to think about it in terms of, okay, how many times do I have to talk about this specific thing or do I have to show this specific thing in order for somebody to start understanding what it is, right? And I think that's just one more touch point for people who have never seen it or at least an intro touch point for people to be like, oh, you know what? Let me take a look at what this board ape or monkey really is. Yeah. Speaking of monkeys, uh, Mark, we like to end our podcast playing our version of Fuck, Mary Kill. So I'm going to ask you, um, what is an NFT project you would hodl forever, one you would flip, and one you would never touch with a 50-foot pole? Mm. Hodl, flip, and would never touch. Okay. <clears throat> or a crypto coin. So anything. I'm going to go hodl. I'm going to say, I'm going to say doodles. Nice. Which I don't have doodles. I definitely need to get a <laughs> doodles. I've got a friend out here that owns a bunch and is deep in the community. And he's always telling me alpha about them. That makes me really feel like I need to invest and they're the future and they're going to take over the world. So he's doing a good job of selling me on it. So um, come to NFC, come to NFT Seattle and he can, he can share the alpha. Uh, wouldn't, touch oh man and then the other one was uh flip mm -hmm. yes yep. flip i'll say azuki okay mm, i haven't heard nice. about that project in a while now that i think yeah. about it yeah 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 like would have flipped at the height <laughs> yeah. right um and then one that i wouldn't touch man there's a lot that i wouldn't touch to be honest but <laughs> what's the uh I don't know. I don't know if I want to throw shade on like some certain project either. 
Uh, what's the projects that I would not touch? Like the vast majority, I feel like 99% of projects you read and they all sound the same and it's like, oh, here's this yeah. thing we're going to do, but we're totally unique because, and I'm like, no, this is the exact, you no. just copy and pasted every other project website. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that's, is that a fair answer to say like 99% of the projects answer. that are out there? Okay. Yes, <laughs> yes, For sure. absolutely. Cool. I think that was a great answer. Mark, tell us, uh, when is NFT Seattle? We're going to plug this in in the intro. So if you guys are new here or if you're not and you're in Seattle, make sure to go out and check out Mark, check out his channel as well, and then also check out NFT Seattle if you're in the area. Mark, what can they expect and when is the date? The dates are September 30th to October 1st. So it's going to be a two-day event. It's the first major Web3 and NFT event in the Pacific Northwest. So um, drawing people from the entire region, not just Seattle, but Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Vancouver, BC, uh, the whole area. And so, yeah, day one is going to be more of what you think of when you think of a conference day where there's speakers talking on panels and fireside chats and whatnot. We've got a keynote from Tom Bilyeu that I'm super stoked about. He was somebody nice. that, I mean, he was like a virtual business mentor for me for years before Web3 was ever even on my radar. He was His project was the first NFT that I bought and uh, really excited to spend some time out here. And if, any, if you're an Impact3 Founders Key Holder, he's doing a meet and greet as well. So you'll get to spend some time with him actually too. So that's going to be awesome. Um, and then day two is going to be a lot of community-driven types of events. There's a handful of things like there's a, you know, a VIP dinner for like uh, some exclusive group of people. There's going to be a VIP lunch on Friday. Saturday's got a bunch of like there's a Web3 music experience with a few different music performances that are going to be really cool. Sassy Black, who's from here. Sammy Ariaga, a lot of people know him. Um, Ray Isla all have done pretty amazing things with Web3 and music. There's going to be live art from a guy named Jasty, who's actually a local Web3 artist. He's only 16. He's made well over a million dollars selling NFTs. Um, been featured in all the, like he's, yeah, he's pretty impressive what he's been able to do. So he's going to be doing some live art pieces um, featuring some Web3 coffee projects, which is going to be great. Um, and then coffee. also big coffee guy. And then we'll also be hosting some events at the Seattle NFT Museum, which is the world's first NFT museum. So we'll have like a NFT 101, helping people that are just trying to learn about the space that want to get a MetaMask wallet actually set up and understand the fundamentals of Web3. So I think that'll be helpful for a lot of people that are just trying to learn about the space as well. And great, great space to learn and understand how people are leveraging this. So if you're like a business person or an innovator creator in the startup community and you're thinking, how can I apply or, you know, add these web three principles or this kind of technology? How can I begin to think about this or at least understand it? So I'm not blindsided by it and playing catch up. Or if you're an artist, uh, music or traditional art or whatever, and you want to understand how you can incorporate this into your, you know, different number of mediums that you use as a way to move yourself forward. Um, or if you're just in the space, you like to collect, JPEGs and you want to meet a bunch of other cool people doing really cool things, then it's going to be a really fun event. That's Perfect. Dope. Thank you so much for sharing that. Guys, you heard it here first. Seed Phrase Daily. Share the video. Share the knowledge. Just don't share your seed phrase. We're out. Thank you for another video. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Love it.